0: The only problem you guys have is you haven't had a Stanley Cup there in (laughs) a while.
1: Oh, you (laughs) got to rub it
0: in, huh?
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us today are Joe Cavaretta and Brian Metzler from Leomo. For those of you folks who are not familiar with Leomo, they are uh, an industry leader in logging, analyzing, and um, hopefully telling us what to do with a whole slew of uh, biometric data, uh, specifically motion data in, uh, in for us, at least running and cycling are the two, um, you know, the two fields where we're going to talk to them about. So we wanted to bring these guys on to, uh, to explain what Leomo is, how it works. And, uh, as I just alluded to a few seconds ago, what it is that we can do with all of this fantastic data, Joe, Brian, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. We're happy to be
1: here. So um, let's start with uh, with what Leomo is. Uh, I've been following you guys for uh, a few years. Uh, never quite pulled the trigger on a device myself, but um, certainly followed the story and uh, have been keeping up with um, the uh, all the all the great um, podcast interviews and uh, and webinars that you guys have been putting out over the years. And in fact, the um, the impetus for me inviting you on our show is uh, the running shoe choice, uh, or running shoe analysis webinar that Brian gave, uh, probably would have been a couple months ago, uh, on, through Leomo and where he used your device to analyze a whole bunch of different shoes and uh, made some really interesting conclusions. Let's start with uh, what it is that you guys do or what it is that Leomo does and, uh, and briefly how it does what it does.
0: Yeah, for sure, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, OMO is a uh, sports technology company that uh, specifically focused, as you guys said, on, on motion tracking data. Um, Founded in 2012, uh, by uh, two Japanese entrepreneurs, but we're, we're based in Boulder, Colorado. Um, we do maintain an office in Tokyo, which is more of our engineering and, and such. We have a lot of our sports science and marketing in Boulder. Okay. Um, but basically, we, we have d- uh, developed uh, tools to track an athlete as they move, an individual athlete as they move. So by using uh, sensors on the body in um, our unit, our main unit, which is called the Type S, we're able to track the specific movements Uh, of a cyclist on a bike or a runner um, as they're in motion um, uh, through the specific uh, metrics we've developed. So we call them motion performance indicators and we have 10 of them for cycling and five of them for, for running right now. And they, okay. they break down certain aspects of the movements of a cyclist or of a runner. Um, so we all know that, you know, with the common movements of a runner um, as a move or as a cyclist, and, um, that's helpful. There's a lot of, been a lot of common metrics around for a long time. And these metrics are kind of next level metrics that really understand certain aspects of, of those movements to, to break down and understand, uh, strengths, imbalances, weaknesses, uh, inefficiencies and, and trying to the, the whole goal of this is all to try to, to make that cyclist or that runner more efficient so more efficient ultimately stronger ultimately uh, on the bike with more power um, uh, in both cases uh, faster but just just optimizing the form um, for that person based on their anatomy their strength you know how their body is built um, and then being able to optimize uh, that those movements um, as a they, as a they biker as they run that's awesome. And let's spend a little bit of time talking
1: about the actual hardware, um, how you collect all of that data that you just described.
3: Yeah. So we uses five proprietary motion sensors and they are at their core, their IMUs, which is an inertial measurement unit, if you're not familiar. And so those consist of a tri-axis accelerometer. And a tri-axis gyrometer, so we will measure acceleration in three directions and angular velocity rotation in three directions. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> kind of at its core, the big difference is that we employ five sensors, and that allows us to gather motion data on a lot of different parts of the body at once and be able to see how they're interacting together, how the motion of one body part might differ from, you know, the opposite side of the body or how they may be influencing each other. So, um, you know, the five sensors, we have a couple of set locations that they go on to be able to calculate our metrics. Uh, Those would be the feet, the thighs, the pelvis, And the torso for cycling, uh, obviously six locations, five sensors. So you kind of pick and choose what you want to measure. Okay. Uh, For mine right now, it's feet, thighs, pelvis. And uh, in the future, in some of our next generation metrics we're working on, we're going to incorporate the torso as well.
2: So in terms of the the hardware, um, IMUs are... Very powerful devices, but they're also notorious for things like accelerometer drift. Um, so th- it is a, a fairly, I would say, mature technology. But uh, what what kind of techniques do you use to combat that and make sure that you get good, clean data out of everything?
3: That's a great question. Um, you know, I am use so our specs are. You know, we sample at one hundred hertz for each sensor and a sixteen G acceleration range. You can find this info on our website. And um, so we've actually worked on expanding some of those capabilities from our base hardware, the first stuff that we put out, to be able to incorporate running motions and things like that. So basically how it works is we collect 100 data points per second from each of these IMUs and from each uh, direction of the accelerometer and gyrometer. Those are connected to the head unit, and they feed all of that data to the head unit, which then processes it through Leomo's proprietary algorithms. So we have a really, really great uh, computer science algorithm and engineering team here that is setting up uh, or has set up their own framework for receiving all of this data, processing it, running it through filters, making sure that it's clean, reliable, and robust. And uh, the way that they've had to be creative to be able to get around some of these barriers with the IMUs is really impressive. Um, I don't know if I can get into too many of the specifics, but um, I will say that sort of our, our base operating algorithm, is what really takes into account uh, challenges with drift and timing and things like that, and be it, you know, takes it and makes it usable and produces a reliable metric.
1: I wonder too, Andrew, if the fact that, that these folks are using five sensors rather than your typical, let's say, yeah. footpod one, that that would give you some good error checking too.
2: I suspect we're not going to get the full answer just based on the <laughs> proprietary comment, okay. but that's that's fine. There's always. Um, the secret sauce is always the software. Like IMUs, um, as I was saying, it's a fairly mature technology. You can get an IMU PCB sensor for 3 or $4, where that's something that gets mounted directly on a on a circuit board. So it's not expensive necessarily, but that's not to say that there's not other supporting sensors that go in there in, in their hardware. But really the magic and what you're paying for with a good system is the ability to process that and this idea of sensor fusion that's coming up in a lot of areas where you tie in things like your accelerometers are tied with uh, the, the gyrometers or gyroscopes that get the um, the rotation rate but also combining that with something like a magnetometer where you get absolute direction as, instead of just relative direction um, so there's there's lots of ways to combine the data that you're getting um, and yeah I, I don't I mean I'm I guess I'm kind of putting words in your mouth a little <laughs> bit but uh, it's um, I know that that Four Eyes has you know similar challenges or similar hurdles to overcome with the power meters, um, because there are accelerometers in there and there there are challenges with drift and making sure that things are zeroed properly. And even one of the the initial members of Four Eyes was uh, he was the inventor of the the foot pod um, the running foot pod Ken Fife, and um, what they did was actually zero out their uh, their accelerometer every step. So it would, when you contact the ground, you know that there's no more acceleration. That was your reference point. Um, and this was back in the early 2000s. So the sensors have come a long, long way since then. The processing has come a long, long way since then. But, uh, it's just simple little tricks like that, where you can find a known reference point that, um, that help you, closed loop on some of the sensor data.
3: Yeah, it's, it's very creative. Some of the ways that a lot of these companies now that are employing IMU technology are overcoming some of these hurdles. Uh, we see it in strength and conditioning products, running products, cycling, uh, power meters, everything. And uh, the more I've used some of these products in my own use, um, read up on them a little bit, looked at some of the research, it's, uh, it's really innovative and creative, the methods that some people are utilizing.
1: Awesome. Um, so let's uh, let's dive into use cases. Uh, I think you, would, well, in my following of, of Leomo's history, you guys started with cycling before you went into running. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we were
0: in cycling first for a couple of years, and we had a product called the Type R, which was um, certainly related to cycling form, but also bike fitting. And then this year we launched the Type S and also more importantly, um, or uh, kind of next level was our running MPIs launched this year. So we, we had our cycling MPIs out already and our running MPIs launched this year, only about three months ago.
1: Cool. Okay. So let's start with cycling. Cause it's, um, a sport that you guys have been in for a little bit longer and, uh, maybe have had more time to collect your data and, and build your, your use case. So I think the next logical step in this conversation would be to talk about some of those use cases. You mentioned bike fitting, um, but also, I've seen, you know, based on your videos and your and your posts, there's there's a lot of performance stuff out there that you can you can assess and analyze. So if you if you want to, guys, talk about maybe one or two use cases for your sensors uh, in in bike fitting and then also in in performance cycling. And what what is it that you can gain from uh, from the data that's that the raw data that's coming from these these five IMUs that you have on your cyclist body?
3: Sure, yeah, so uh, maybe I should start with what some of the metrics are, okay? And yep. so, our, our motion performance indicators for the bike we have um, starting at the top at the torso, we have torso angle, which is going to give you your angle relative to gravity, torso rotation, which is going to be your transverse plane rotation, and torso rock, which is going to be your uh frontal plane, uh, side to side rocking or side to side rotation. We have uh Same three metrics for the pelvis, pelvis angle, pelvis rotation, which is going to be your transverse plane rotation and pelvic rock. And we have leg angular range. That's going to give you the total range of motion that the leg goes through on each pedal stroke. We have foot angular range, which is going to be the same on the foot, total range of motion the foot goes through during each pedal stroke and foot angular range Q1, which is angular range of the foot. During Q one, from one o'clock to three o'clock, in the pedal stroke, mm-hmm. and finally we have DSS or Dead Spot Score, which measures uh, pedaling smoothness throughout the entire pedal stroke. So if we have oh interesting uh, jerkiness or abrupt changes in velocity and angular velocity of that pedal stroke, we'll detect it on each pedal stroke and we'll report on average how many of those you get on each pedal stroke. So using those. Um, at you know, face value, what we found is it can be sort of a lot for new users. It's a lot of data. It's a lot of yeah. maybe a little bit of a different way of looking at some of these biomechanical concepts. Uh, I, I know in the past, it's a lot of these other products, it's very common to see just joint angles or something like that. Something that's a little bit more digestible, I think. So um, when we think of angular range or smoothness or rotation rod, we have to change the way that we're thinking about the movement a little bit. Um, So the easiest way for me to simplify all of our metrics and try to group them into a couple of performance categories is just how I call it. Um, You know, I I think it's beneficial to start with sort of simplifying to maybe four principles or four keys of movement that we're, we're trying to achieve as an athlete. Um, So, Those would be, for me, uh, a stable center of mass, Uh, gonna be basically anchoring your pelvis onto the saddle really well and anchoring your upper body onto the handlebars really well and providing a good fulcrum for power generation from the hips. Um, Next one would be a full unrestricted range of motion around the hips. And uh, that's gonna basically be related to, you know, how much power we can generate from the hips. If we have a lot of restrictions, then that can affect our pedal cycle at the top or at the bottom, Uh, can create pelvic movement and um, create some just general compensations at the the core. Uh, The next one would be good transfer of power to the pedals. And so when we have a stable fulcrum on the saddle, when we're creating a lot of power from the hips, Uh, Having a good interface at the crank to be able to transmit that power to the bike is obviously crucial to not dissipating or wasting any of that power. So that's where foot angular range and foot angular range Q1 into play. Um, Having a nice stiff power stroke as you go from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the pedal stroke is really key to avoiding kind of heel down pedaling, being able to synchronize your triple extension from the hip knee and ankle, yep. um and then finally it would be just a, a technique or smoothness of your technique in the dead spot score and being able to um, more just focus on being able to shift muscle groups um, really efficiently and smoothly in a, in a synchronized coordinated manner on each pedal stroke so if we think of it that way, the torso and the pelvis rock and rotation can tell us a lot about how stable our base is. If we're, on the, if we're sitting on the saddle well, if we are maintaining a sort of rigid upper body to be able to create power from. Uh, leg angular range is gonna tell us, you know, sort of our range for power development from the hips. If we have a really small range, then it's a very short time frame to generate power and it's also a pretty limited use of uh, muscle. So that would be for power, uh, unrestricted movement around the center mass okay. and then power transfer, foot AR, foot AR Q1. Uh, we want those ankles to be nice and stiff, be able to transfer that power well. And then DSS, we want it to be low. So with that in mind, I think that's a good basis to start talking about then, you know, what's meaningful on the bike if I'm an athlete, what am I trying to achieve in a bike adjustments or in an aero position, things like that. Um, To start with maybe bike fitting first, I think some really interesting use cases that we've seen um, just used by some of our customers, some of our uh, employees internally, some of our partners we've worked with in the past um, specifically, uh, Adam Hansen is a pro tour rider for Lotto Segal mm-hmm. and he does uh, a lot of work with us. We've been fortunate to have him, you know, providing input for our team, getting feedback, testing a lot of these things in real time. And you can check out his YouTube channel for a lot of information related to Leomo, but he was really, uh, one of the pioneers for us that helped us develop a lot of the bike fitting applications. And so his methodology entails finding the best saddle position to give you the most stable um, center of mass on the saddle while achieving the highest leg angular range that you can. So he uses a a method of adjustment, testing nine or more different saddle positions and just taking a short sample of data at each one, maybe 30 seconds, and taking a look at it after you make all these adjustments, and being able to see which position optimizes your saddle position, your saddle stability, and also allows for the highest leg angular range that you can achieve.
1: Cool. I have a couple of quick follow-ups. Um, the so you identified you know these these uh, performance metrics that you you deemed important. What's the uh, what's the evidence for? You know, an actual perfor- performance improvement, if you are able to, you know, get these these performance metrics in whatever desired range it is that you you guys prescribe. Is there, you know, obviously, if we're talking about stability in the saddle, you know, if you know, this is this is one of those sort of intuitive things where you see high caliber riders and they're, they lock, they mostly look very, very steady in the saddle and they have that stable platform for power delivery, as you put it, which I, 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 I I actually agree with. I think that's, that's super important. Um, but is it, is a, is it, uh, a case of you have some, some studies that you're basing this off from, or are you, really writing the book because you know it's it sounds like you might be one of the first folks out there in the marketplace that has uh, a consumer or a coach you know or a coach consumer sensor package that can that can detect this and you're collecting a whole ton of data and a whole ton of use cases like you know your your example of Adam was perfect um, and you are you guys are writing the the biome or rewriting the biomechanics of cycling which which one is it
3: That's a really good question. Um, So I would say for us, it's, you know, these are new metrics. This is a bit of a new area using IMUs like this. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of our concepts internally, things that we're trying to aim for have really, you know, we'll take a look at some really popular groundbreaking biomechanical studies, but a lot of this uh, will end up coming down to limitations of the tech. And what can we offer and what kind of value can we bring to these athletes and coaches? And so say that there is some sort of uh, biomechanical trait that we you know, find to be really important and high value with coaches and athletes and, and research. Um, it's not always directly attainable given this hardware and software. Sure. You know, something like uh, a mocap camera setup might be a little bit better or something like that. Um, So what we try to do in those scenarios is find a way to inform similar information that can help people drive decision-making processes and be able to put numbers on things that they want to be able to track over time. So I would say it's a little bit new in that sense. Some of these metrics are a little bit derived and developed in that manner, trying to provide that value in whatever way we can. Um, But certainly, uh, you know, we're also taking into account observations and testing on elite athletes, trying to profile how they move and um, what unique characteristics they tend to possess and see how we can harness that a bit. So maybe the easiest sum up is I think, you know, Leoma has been developed with two sort of key philosophies since the start. and Number one has been to try to – put numbers on the coach's eye. All coaches have this sort of ability to see things in movement and be able to detect subtleties in an athlete's performance. And we wanted to be able to go to them and understand what it is that is important for them to be able to measure or see or give feedback on and be able to help them quantify that and be able to track it a little bit better over time. And then the second part was to Try to get a little bit deeper below the surface and maybe provide some value on observations that they can't detect with their eye. Maybe something that's even a little bit difficult for a high-speed camera to to detect. You know, something like a smoothness or things like that. So sure, um, that's sort of where the foundation comes from, sort of philosophy that we practice.
1: That's really neat. Um, so then, my follow-up question. And uh, you, you gave one example of it when you were talking about Adam's uh, approach to saddle choice and bike fitting. Um, the, the obvious other question is, once you identify uh, a parameter that you think may be outside of you know the ideal range for that parameter, as currently as defined by Leomo, I suppose, uh, what do you do about it, right? I mean, that's, that's always been... Uh, Andrew and I have talked about this quite a bit. There's, there's so much more data available to athletes and to coaches. Um, and it's, it's often, you know, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's confusing and sometimes it's just, you know, you look at it and you just kind of put it down because you don't know what to do with it. And I, you know, as a coach, this is, I do this quite a bit with, uh, (laughs) with the data that my athletes sometimes present to me you know a lot of it I know exactly what to do with but some of it I'm like I don't really know what to do with this so is there anything in your kind of in in the offering from Leomo that that helps coaches and uh, and and user athletes in understanding how to uh, address the problem once you identify the problem
3: yeah, excellent question and actually I think this is probably maybe the most important topic of the discussion in biomechanics mm-hmm. is you know what is good in biomechanics is a very difficult question to answer. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. We that guy that uh, chiropractor we had on yesterday Pete Kissel, he was he was talking about the same thing in running and he and we'll get to it. I'm I'm jumping the jumping the gun here, but we'll get to it when we talk about running, but um, with cycling, it's a little bit, I think there's a little bit more of a convergence on good form, but with running, there totally isn't, in my opinion,
2: anyway. You're so much more constrained on a bike. Yeah, it's a closed movement. If you've got your knees sticking 90 degrees outward, I think most people can agree <laughs> that that's not a great biomechanic solution, but, uh, but running, you're... you're given a lot more freedom because there's literally nothing connecting you to the ground
1: yeah it's an open open circuit exercise yep for sure right
2: yeah and on the
3: bike it's a lot of it can come down to aerodynamics they're very clear-cut goals right things that you're trying to overcome you optimize your position for that and i agree and running it's just it's, it's very uh open chains very open system whatever terms we want to use and there's a, it's a very high variability between athletes and between um any runners so um, the question of what is good in biomechanics, this is a discussion I have very often with coaches or partners or, or users of our product. Maybe a good starting point would be you know, when we almost started, we were initially focused on creating measurement tools for these types of things. And our approach was a little bit more, uh, let's, let's develop just an objective tool that can help put numbers on these things. And more recently, we're shifting our focus now. Now that we've got these metrics developed, we have our first run release out. We even have our raw data viewer um, live video sync application mm-hmm. as a feature. So we have enough you know, offerings to be able to start using this stuff comprehensively in multiple sports. And now our big goal, you know, kind of company-wide, is just supporting our users more, being able to create more supporting content for them, create a little bit more of a database of use cases, uh, examples, more in-depth manuals, a little bit more of a supporting data analysis services and things like that. So um, the whole point here is it's very complex and we're now very focused on supporting our users as much as possible. Back to the question of kind of what's good. Um, the simple starting point is it's individual to you. Sure. And we need to first sort of get a fingerprint of how you move naturally before we even talk about what it should be potentially or how you might want to change it or if certain things can be changed.
0: Yeah, the one thing I'll add there is that well, you have ranges for all our MPIs and and kind of what Joe was talking about, I mean, obviously we have internal understanding of kind of how that looks, but we also know that every individual athlete is different and how their anatomy moves and how they function. And you change one thing, it's going to change something else, right? And so certainly that's the massaging of the science. That's the nuance of the whole uh, idea of movement. And so to have the to have the specific data of how a, a certain athlete moves at this point in time right now, <clears throat> um, you have to understand, too, that, that with greater training, with um, – uh, with different aspects of fitness, that, that's going to change too. And so a month that might be different, obviously. And so, But understanding right. how they move at any given point in time and certainly kind of what that means relative to their anatomy, what the coach knows about their fitness um, certainly comes into play too. So certainly there is – yeah, there's that um, – yeah, we have a, our internal coaching kind of uh, staff, but also we are working with external coaches. And also, as Joe said, we're providing more information as we get it on a, on a weekly basis. We do town hall Calls this morning we had a town hall, a uh, webinar which um, for cycling we also have one for running to kind of alternate, and we both engage our current users um, which are coaches, athletes, uh, um, phys- physios um, that have used our product, and certainly certainly we're learning from them as as they're learning from us. So we're trying to you know obviously spread the knowledge as much as possible, knowing that we have as Joe said you know. V one, the original um, incarnation of our technology was all about okay, we can measure this. Now it's okay. Now let's measure this and help athletes improve. Let's let's understand how that data can change their performance, their their uh, efficiency, their balance, all those things.
2: So the follow up question I would have there is, what what is the ideal frequency for using? the device and uh, if you're trying to track data changing over time um, would it be every training session that you would target an athlete would it be during races potentially where you're trying to see you know does the the factor of adrenaline or competition change something in what people are doing and is there any actionable data that can be taken out real time uh, where if you are in a race and maybe you're starting to fatigue and seeing something change you can you can see that and and make a change based on that or is that currently beyond the the targeted goal or the limitations of the technology?
3: Oh, I think that's a great point. Uh, actually, there's a couple topics in there that are really good, I think. So I think starting off, you know, there's kind of two starting points for this topic. The first is kind of what we talked about. Yeah, there's there's these metrics and we have these sort of movement principles that we are aiming for. And you know, we can have an idea of this is a little bit better. Probably this may be a little bit worse if we see go in this direction. Um, But those are, you know, those are absolutes. And like we said, you need to start with where you're at right now. And what's good for one runner might not be what's good for another runner. So we sort of need to start with the individual. And so the sort of other side of that coin is, yes, we can acknowledge that there are some things that may be viewed as more optimal or better motion, but then there's also this huge individual factor that we have to give a lot of attention to and start with and so when working with an individual the way that I start is I just want to understand how they move and previously what I would do uh, doing gate analysis on athletes that I coach or in services at a lab or something um, it's a lot of camera-based analysis it's a lot of um, eyeing it up if you're, you know, if you're lucky to have some sort of higher level 2D camera system or something, maybe, um, you know, we basically take a sample and we try to create a profile of how somebody's moving. And from that, you know, and then in engaging with the athlete, we can get an idea of, okay, what are we trying to do? What barriers are we encountering? And how can we implement some innovations to try to improve and get you to where you need to be? And so I think that One aspect of the tech that is really, really beneficial in that sense is we can just, we've expanded our measurement tools to be able to go through that critical thinking process. And I think for any user who's maybe just an athlete, who's not really into like this higher level gate analysis type stuff, I think just understanding how you move in normal conditions and in a variety of training conditions is really valuable as a first step. From that, you get a general overview. Okay, maybe these are some of my strengths. Maybe these are some of my weaknesses. Uh, the first thing I do when I work with somebody is we do a little fingerprint test. We just have them do a progressive speed test, maybe 30 seconds to a minute at increasing speed. And we look for a couple of things. We look to see if there's any sort of absolute outliers things that really stick out like oh you know this this runner seems to have really tight hips or this runner seems to have a really large asymmetry that sticks out Um, we just want to get an idea of what those things are what the numbers are and how they move and then you know with the different conditions we can see what kind of challenges they may encounter in different types of training so some runners with progressive speed You know, certain things, certain metrics might start to plateau at a given speed. Um, Certain asymmetries might start to increase at a certain speed. Um, Basically, the best thing a runner can do first is be able to just maintain their normal movement patterns. Mm -hmm. And being able to cover, you know, X target distance at X target pace for whatever your race is and be able to maintain your normal movement patterns would be my first step. And, um, so that sort of offers a nice tool for that individuality and covering some of that variability with the athletes. So we can get numbers on how they move. I know what's normal for you. And then in day-to-day training and you know, in long-term training, prepping for a race, I not only have these measures of maybe like metabolic fitness, metabolic fatigue, you know, there's a lot of things out there, heart rate, miles, uh, TSS, some of these training peaks metrics and from Andrew Coggin. Um, I really like that we can now complement those and sort of understand a little better how we're achieving that stress. Is it? Is there, you know, uh, big changes in your biomechanics that are happening when you try to push your mileage up? Are you lagging a little bit in your sort of like structural or biomechanical adaptation. Uh, We know that when motion changes, when you get into different movement patterns too abruptly, then injury risk can go up. And so that's something that I think this tool provides a nice value to be able to use in daily training, monitor your variability, see when things change. And even within a given workout too, I've done some tests on runners doing long tempo runs and, just different styles of runners, and a three k runner, five k, and a marathoner, mm-hmm. and just seeing how their movement breaks down, and if there's a certain threshold point or a duration where things really start to fall off. And uh, it's been pretty interesting seeing, you know, a lot of marathoners that we've tested have obviously really good uh, fatigue resistance, if we want to call it that. Uh, they're able to maintain, even when the fatigue starts to build, they're able to keep going, maintain those movement patterns. Um, the 5K runner 10K runner, you know, about 30 minutes into this run, we're seeing a pretty stark drop-off of a lot of these movement metrics and big changes in their gait. Now, they, they finished the tempo run, but um, for that runner, it's pretty clear that that whole second half of the run, your movement's changing, you're operating in a little bit different movement pattern. You may be risking sort of reinforcing different movement patterns than what you want. And of course there's an injury risk factor in there as well. So for for a runner like that, uh, I like to do this test and just sort of try to optimize or change their training a little bit. If you're having trouble getting over 20 or 30 minutes in a tempo run, then we should probably cap the duration of that or perform some sort of broken tempo, uh, break it up into rest periods, see if we can extend that duration a little bit longer and help train these movement patterns. Um, so a couple of the sort of individual things that you can do in day-to-day training, I think to your question of, is this a daily training tool or is it something to use more periodically? I, it, I can see it for both. As a coach, if I have a unit and I've got a couple of different athletes, and not everybody can be using it all the time, I like to just do periodic tests, check ins, do maybe an early season test, see where things are, and then maybe a couple key workouts along the way, throw the unit on and see how they're operating, see if the fatigue is high, see if the biomechanics are improving. Um, See if they're developing a little bit more pop in their step as a lot of runners report, you know, as they start to go into peak training. Um, And then right before the race or within a race to be able to see, you know, what are the sort of weak points or what are the points that tend to change first and most dramatically? And are those things that we can add some supplementary training to help improve?
1: I really like that answer um, on a, on a number of on a number of levels. Uh, so, first of all, that that biomechanical fatigue resistance, I think it's it's one of the holy grails of good, especially uh, run long distance running coaching, because as you say, it is much much more straightforward to uh, measure metabolic stress and uh, and and track that and progress that correctly and do all those all those things well. Uh, but assessing that resistance to resistance to muscular or neuromuscular fatigue is much harder yeah and you have kind of you know you've had proxies in the past where you you try to look at maybe you know uh, cardiac drift uh, to, to try and figure out where where some of those you know where the breakdown in inefficiency in prime running form for that specific athlete happened. Uh, so having a device that actually measures it directly, is is super attractive to a coach so that's that's really cool another use case that just popped into my head is you could potentially look at um you know the deviation from idealized running form uh, with a triathlete or a duathlete coming off the bike and you could see you know how much how much their form you know kind of for an open run open 5k let's say differs to their to their off the right sprint 5k and then maybe make some decisions about biking bike pacing or bike position Um, that, that could impact that. So that's a, that's really fun. Uh, That's why I like having conversations with guys like you.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned that because after we're in the process of doing that, I mean, um, I'm mostly a runner, but I've also done enough triathlons to know that when you get into the run phase, you're not running, you're, you're obviously running under great duress and fatigue. And so um, as opposed to a marathon here, you're running fresh, obviously and tapered down everything else. When you get off the bike, you're running 26 miles. It's, It's like a battle. It's a war with your body, right? Based on how you were sitting on the bike and pumping the pedals with those big muscles and yep and we know that uh, on the bike as you fatigue over the 112 mile bike you become more reliant on your big muscles because you weaken and you're tired and everything else and and so you just want to get done and then but then you, when you get on the run it's, it's so hard to run efficiently because those big muscles are so taxed and so yeah we're in the process of working on a use case for that which we should have ready in a couple of weeks um but to really understand, yeah, fatigue um, in in, uh, in running off the bike. And so, yeah, having to do with your bike position, uh, with your bike efforts, your bike outputs, um, and all that. Um, and so when you, get, when you get off the bike and start to run, obviously um, it is hopefully optimized or at least a more optimized place where you can maintain that. And obviously there's plenty of other factors there too with fuel and weather and everything else. But certainly that is a key thing. And one more thing I'll add to what Joe said was that certainly there are both short-term and long-term development um, understandings through data, right? You can see, like I said before, like where you are at this point in time, and then hopefully you can make the proper changes either through fitness or strength and conditioning to improve those either imbalances or, 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 or ways to improve your strength uh, to be better, um, you know, a month from now, two months from now. And so if you did like um, a tempo run every other Tuesday and you you monitor your data, you'd be able to see hopefully with increased fitness and increased strength and conditioning uh, the changes there and and hopefully the improvement. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the goal. It's one of the goals of Leomo is to help everyone run or cycle uh, in an optimized way. And so, but certainly if we, we all know that um, either through the off season or when we're out of shape, we we develop or have uh, imbalances. And so to fix those imbalances um, and understand them in short term under your first, uh, data test, or or uh, on an ongoing basis, you can certainly um, hopefully create long term uh, development and change uh, based on the data. I want to jump back
1: to um, uh, to follow up to Andrew's question about um, about day to day use versus uh, occasional use, uh, kind of, and take a slight twist on it. Um, I know that uh, obviously the Le- the Leomo package comes with a with a head unit with a really powerful suite of uh, analytics that are on the head unit itself, on the, the bike computer, or the you know you, I think you can wear it on your wrist as well, right, with an adapter, guys. Okay, your waist or your wrist or your arm, yeah,
0: a couple of things. Yeah. And we also and also you can you can also use a watch to interface with it. Our app works on a watch, like a Wear OS watch. Oh, perfect. So you can get your data on a running watch, which is obviously the preferred way for most runners to understand data.
1: Sure. So so my question is. Is, is the use case primarily in uh, you know, post-workout analysis? So you would sit down with your coach or you as a, a self coach athlete, look at the data from Leomo on, on a, you know, a web platform or, or an app and then say, okay, here's, here's what this data means or is there a case to be made? And this is kind of a leading question. I'll tell you in a second why. But is there a case to be made for looking at the data in real time as you are running or riding or is that more of you know, data overflow?
3: That's uh, actually a great question, and I was going to go back to that. Think you think uh, you touched on that earlier. Um, a big topic for Leoma right now is exactly that. It's providing live, not only just what the metrics are, but a little bit of live feedback about you know, what you want them to be or what you want reported to you in the moment as a runner or a cyclist. And so we're developing a feature. Uh, We've talked about it in a few of our webinars. It's called Target Range. Okay. And it allows you to take a sample of data. You can choose it from a workout or a race, or you can do a specific test and, you know, go out and try to run your best or cycle your best for a short time and set that as your sort of baseline. And then you can adjust, you know, the softness or the tightness to that range that you want to stay within and how much variability you're going to allow. And uh, you can choose then during an activity which metrics you want to be receiving feedback on or displaying when you're out of your range or your normative range. The nice thing is it's obviously adjusted to you. It's calibrated to your test and your data that you've been performing. And it helps you just be able to stay within what is your norm. Um, But with this comes that really big question of, You know, if I, if somebody tells me that I'm moving a certain way and it's a little different than what I normally do, am I able to actually act upon that and adjust it and change it during the run? Right. And it depends on the intensity and some things like that. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a pretty big, there's a pretty big body of research, you know, going around now about this sort of perception and, athlete feedback and how things are processed and the learning uh it's really interesting to me and it's a big topic i'm looking into right now um i think yeah i think so for me right now the way that i'm using this feature is you know i'm trying to understand which things are the most actionable for me if there's a certain weakness um say in the way i'm driving my leg into the ground or if I'm starting to break down and change the uh, rock of my torso or my hips are starting to drift. uh, You know, I'm testing a lot of those things on myself. See what can I personally adjust and change while I'm running and then what I might need some sort of supplemental work for. Mm -hmm. I think, a lot of the coaches I've talked to are of the opinion right now that most of this stuff is better addressed in the gym or in drills or supplementary training of some sort. And I I don't disagree with that at all. I think that maybe some of the biggest adjustments or leaps and bounds and improvements for some of these real specific aspects are maybe best addressed with a focused training program in the gym or so. But I think there's a lot of benefit to knowing just even if you're not going to necessarily act on that in the moment and try to change it, just knowing how things are changing. I'm a coach and I'm going to work with an athlete and we set this baseline range. We say, okay, we've set this sample today. I want you to focus on kind of this one aspect of your movement during this tempo run. Um, this is a really key point for you because in some races or in some other tests we've seen, we've seen this kind of as your fail point and, um, sort of causes a domino effect for a lot of other things. So let's focus on this. Um, but I want you to try your best to improve it. If you can, I want you to follow this cue, usually some sort of coaching cue to relate to the metric is the best way to go. Um, but maybe then setting a parameter also of okay, this is a uh, sixty-minute tempo run. If we see this value drift above you know x value for you know thirty seconds, or you can't correct it, um, they don't want you to shift your workout and just go into the cool down. And today is just a day to focus on the movement patterns, focus on this biomechanical fitness. There will be times to maybe sort of throw that to the wind and just go to the well on some days. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that expression. Yeah. I'm in a place for that. <laughs> but um, for the most part, it's uh, it can be a nice tool for a runner to at least know what their status is. You know, it's uh, Heart rate can kind of follow some of the same philosophies, right? If your heart rate, some for sure. coaches say. Yeah. For,
1: for, long, for long, easy runs? Yeah, I use that all the time.
3: Yeah, sure. If it just, well, uh, maybe we're going to stop. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the drawbacks of heart rate is uh, you know, heat and dehydration, all this kind of stuff. So sure. it's another parameter like that that I think can be used in a similar manner and to monitor more of just the biomechanical aspects of it, as opposed to the metabolic It's a little complimentary.
0: And then one thing I'll add is like, so on the track doing like a nine by 400 workout, I've done hill workouts. Um, I have uh, looked in, you know, in real time periodically between uh, sessions to, to understand a couple of things. One of which is, Am I working too hard? Or you you can you can tell by you know, say your smoothest score. If your smoothest score score goes up considerably, you can tell like, hey, I'm I'm really muscling through this. As opposed, to I'm I'm missing the point of the workout. Mm -hmm. As opposed to doing nine consecutive 400s at the same pace um, that are not meant to be anaerobic, and like in the last two or three, you really start muscling through them you know, term I, I call for basically forcing things and using more muscle than, than form. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a reminder right there that, you can. okay, yeah, I, I, I did hit the time or I came with it a second at the time, but I really kind of um, started to miss the point. And that, that shows that certainly uh, I'm fatigued. I'm obviously, um, you know, starting to force my form in different ways. And uh, so that, that's been key for me to do that. There's a couple different uh, metrics that have helped me certainly just keep an eye on that. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily when you're doing uh, a repeat workout like that and you're also jogging to try and do a cool either tour you know to, as a rest period it's not the easiest thing to do but like obviously you want to be able to use that data at some point to understand that
1: mm-hmm. uh one one uh I think case for jumping back to looking at the data live um, that Andrew and I have talked about in the past. Actually, we've mentioned Leomo in a couple of shows um, and just to give you some context, guys, we, we spend a whole lot of time talking about cycling aerodynamics. That's kind of our, our, our specific wheelhouse. And uh, Andrew actually developed a, uh, a CFD me- methodology for assessing aerodynamics of cyclists. Um, so yeah, we spend a ton of time, you know, chewing that particular fat. And so (laughs) one of the challenges is always, um, especially with, you know, Andrew's method is. Um, you assess a cyclist in a static position, just like you would in a wind tunnel. His is the virtual wind tunnel. Um, And then, you know, you give them a a CDA and they say, and then you can, you can plan races around that and it's all awesome. And then they go, but when they're riding in the real world, their position looks nothing like what, what it was in the the tunnel or the virtual wind tunnel. So one of the kind of the use cases that I was thinking of when we've talked about this in the past is using a, Product like Liomo to establish those baseline parameters, like a certain torso angle or a certain head position. I know that's not one of the the, the traditional positions for for the unit, but I suppose you could probably stick one on, you know, in your helmet somewhere um, and assess that, and then maybe assessing like your, you know, even like even hand position uh, in order to to really make sure that you're tested. Uh, super arrow, super fast position is actually what you're holding out in training, and that's how you would train it towards being able to use it in, uh, you know, on your big day.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. We've had a couple of different users, partners, uh, folks internally getting creative and sort of uh, quote-unquote hacking the metrics, so you can, you know, take the pelvic angle. For instance, you take the pelvic sensor and you can put it on the helmet, use it as like a helmet angle or you can, um, even Adam Hansen has talked a little bit about putting it on the shoulder blades hmm. and being able to assess kind of your shrug position yeah, yeah. maintaining it or if it changes. So I think there's a lot of really cool use cases there for the aerodynamics and sort of, you know, I like to say hacking the metrics a little bit, if you can get under the surface a little, but for that purpose, we also have our live video sync application, which Goes on an iPad and it streams all of the data from all the sensors individually and live, and you can hmm. sync it with video, which is why it's live video sync. So, oh, that's super cool. Um, so it gives you access. You know, basically, we came out with these cycling metrics, and we had a lot of people saying, "Hey, this is really cool." But uh, I wanna, I got some ideas I wanna test. I wanna use the IMU in its base form and be able to just see this raw motion data and be able to do some fun stuff with it. And so um, that was a little bit of the motivation to create an app that allows people to just view it, manipulate the data, compare data. There's tons of features. And yeah, you can use the angle from all five sensors if you want. You can put it all over the body, take a static position in a wind tunnel, go compare it outside yeah, all those use cases kind of become available and possible with that.
2: Super cool. First of all, I'm very excited to hear that there's the opportunity to do maybe the hacking or just looking (laughs) at other metrics, Um, because I think when you really open it up to the community is where you get these creative ideas where yeah, you might sit in a, a boardroom, well, not these days, but uh, you might sit in a virtual boardroom and brainstorm for hours, but you never think of something that uh, that's a needed use case out there for other people. And then they just toss it out there and it's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. So being able to manipulate or take the data as you need it to, to measure other things like bike angle, or you could even do bike lean in corners or something like that, where you're measuring on a device, like on your equipment rather than your body. Um, you can start to extract a lot of, uh, very important data about how you're actually riding or performing in competition. So, um, stuff like that for me is super interesting where you start to just expand it into other areas and start to just learn how the, the body works and learn things that haven't been investigated before. And that's always what really excites me. But, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see that that is an opportunity with your, with your whole suite of tools. Yeah, the cornering
3: is a pretty interesting case also. We've had a coach do some interesting work with that, be able to look at the timing of when the pedals stop, when the bike tilts, and then when they come out of the turn. Mm-hmm. And we also had a pretty creative use case where a coach was trying to monitor the hydration and fluid intake of an athlete <laughs> and they stuck a sensor on the water. Put it on the bottle, <laughs> <laughs> See a spike in the data every time they take a drink. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, you know how hard it is for a lot of athletes to remember how often they actually took. the and <laughs>
1: everything. I was going to think I've got a few, I, I got a few folks that I work with where um, you know, we're training for some long, fairly flat event or well, it doesn't really matter in triathlons. Like you got to be in the arrow position. And then it, we'd be, we'd be doing the uh, the debrief from the training and be like, were you in arrows? Like, Oh yeah. Like 95% of the time I'm looking at the speed and power <laughs> no. data. I'm like, nah, no, I know you weren't. <laughs> so this would be, exactly. I could catch him cheating with something like this very easily. Exactly.
3: Yeah, definitely uh, involves some really interesting self-discovery about that stuff. A lot of times we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and we're not even aware that um, we maybe we slipped out of position or sort of sensory or feeling of our position has changed due to fatigue or something. And so it's good to have that little reaffirmation. I, I think that's also a really good use case for the live feedback. Yes, Just for some of those scenarios where I start to drift a little bit and maybe I'm on a long run and my my mind starts to drift away from things, Uh, just get a little bit of a notification, oh, hey, kind of tighten it up, focus back on this, let's get back in range. I think those are probably some of the best use cases for that feature.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing when you were saying that, you know, you you needed to find the right cue or the right, um, you know, address the issue in uh, outside of the, you know, off the road uh, in the gym or in some kind of physio facility. And I certainly agree with that. But sometimes it is just a, a cognitive awareness thing that uh, you just, you know, you're out there for six hours, you start, you stop start paying attention to all of these things. Um, and that can be enough just to snap you right back in.
0: Yeah, I think too, for years, I mean, I, we've all, you know, had that training from coaches and understanding and the smarts of, what good cycling form is or what good running form is and and so for, certainly for running when you get to mile 21 of a marathon and you remind yourself okay yeah run tall yeah you can despite the fatigue or maybe your own um imbalances or lack of uh, stability at that point in the race you can still run tall at mile 21 and at least for a short period of time uh right yeah run more efficiently and, and like you, you can see your miles splits like oh i ran mile 21 better and then unfortunately if you're not uh, strong enough or fit enough that mile 22 and 23, 24 become more mature. But this, I think, shows you the digital uh, the digital picture of that. And certainly, again, as I said before, the short term and long term benefit of this is understanding that. And so you're not in a point where you're in a race where you're not strong enough or not, you know, you actually have had the training based on this progression uh, from doing strength and conditioning. And so uh, certainly we can cue ourselves in different ways but certainly uh, hopefully you've got this uh, ability to see the data early on in your training and, and, and improve it all, all along
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when I was talking to Peter uh, I keep bringing this this up this uh, this episode that we just did but we we talked about how you know the proliferation of all of these measurement tools is both a blessing and a curse right and I, I sort of indicated that when when we were starting the interview but uh, it's uh, it's so very important to put all of this data into context, and I love the fact that you're you guys have shifted your focus, as you say, into into enabling coaches and athletes to uh, to dig into that context. Because I think there's um you know, and I have had this this Im- I mistaken impression myself that a device. That measures something novel will always improve my experience as a coach, or my rather as a coach, my ability to deliver good training to my athletes, and that's not that's not always the case. It gives you another data point, or in your case, many, 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 many data points. Um, and it's it's up to it's up to the you know the coach or the self coached athlete or the sports scientist or the biomechanist or whoever to to interpret that data and to make it useful. And so I think that's kind of that's something that I'm. This is my sort of my. PSA for the audience that this stuff is super exciting and super fun to use, but it does come with, you know, with, uh, with a cost. And then that cost is you have to understand what to do, what to do with the data. And, you know, Brian and Joe have done a great job of, uh, of giving us some, some examples of what to do with the data, but it's, I think it's always a mistake. And like I, like I said, it was a mistake that I've made many times in my career, in thinking that more data is always a good thing, um, more data in the right context is a good thing. Is how I th- how I think about it now.
0: Yeah, I think I think we've gone through like you've seen like the proliferation of, of various sports tracking devices over the last, you know, specifically over the last ten years. I mean, obviously heart rate monitors a long time ago and, mm-hmm. and, and tools like that, but in the last ten years, we've seen a lot more devices. Uh, some of which have been very first level, and then obviously some of which have been much more sophisticated. And I think that um, you know, getting that data and being able to uh, process it and use it in a very, um, you know, uh, everyday manner is, is what's, what's important. A, a lot of the data that didn't mean anything, uh, step counting, for example, which was a huge craze, like five years ago yeah, right. for the masses, uh, didn't, didn't really matter obviously. Right. And, and, and so, um, I think as we evolve, I think, uh, obviously we, we haven't seen, we haven't seen consumers or society, uh, go away from data. There's there's only been more data in every single thing we do, right? And how we process everything we do and and whether it be our purchasing or um, our sports or our health and fitness. I mean, we've only seen more data and that's because obviously technology continues to evolve and it becomes uh, smaller, better, faster, more efficient in in how we use it. And I think, so this is part of that process. And I think that um, certainly understanding it through running and cycling, it's only going to help in the future. Agreed. Uh, Well, guys, I think this is a, a great
1: place to wrap up. Um, thank you both very much for taking the time, um, and, uh, and sharing your, your knowledge and, uh, explaining your, your technology. So if, uh, if folks want to learn more, or they, they want to purchase a unit, um, is the website the best place to do that?
0: Yeah. Leomo.io is the best place to get a kind of a comprehensive view. We also have, uh, social media, uh, we have Facebook, um, uh, community groups for both running and cycling, which, uh, gets engaged in a lot of different users, um, uh, so, yeah, Anyway, they want to reach out would be great. Um, or they can reach us at support uh, at and We have to answer questions uh, individually.
1: Perfect. And of course, I'll put those uh, those links to all your social channels and uh, anything else that you guys want to send me as far as, uh, you know, you mentioned Adam's uh, YouTube uh, YouTube channel. I'll throw that in the social notes as well if you send it to me. Um, so that when this episode does go up, the our, our listeners can uh, dig in as deep as they want to, because there's a there's a lot of uh, potential digging to be
0: done here. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Uh, really appreciate the conversation and uh, and great questions. Thanks,
2: guys. Thanks so much. And you have presented me with a very unique problem here, where my Christmas list keeps expanding. <laughs> my list, so
1: you have to be extra good for Santa this year, Andrew.
2: I know. I know. It's it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, I love
3: what you guys are doing on the show. It's I feel. Like the same thing happens to me with every new episode that comes out the Christmas
1: list is just grounding ground. for <laughs> Right, right alright folks uh, thank you very much for tuning in as always if you do enjoy the show and hopefully you do give us a five star review on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and uh, if you want to show your love in a more in an even more substantial manner uh, consider supporting the show at Supercast by following the link in the show notes or on the website thank you all for listening